0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host hello and welcome to the World soccer talk podcast on this week's show we discuss which broadcasters may be interested in acquiring One of the most major sports broadcasters in the United States and we have a lot of news in this week's episode about everything from NBC sending the crew to England and USL uh, signing a major deal. It's been a big week for soccer this week. Uh, Kartik, um, first of all, w- with uh, World Soccer Talk, we released uh, a brand new ebook, which is the uh, "What the World Cup Means to Me," which features. Uh, it's a free download op- available through the website. It has uh, c- contributions in there from everyone, from Rebecca Lowe, uh, Simon Cooper, uh, Jonathan Tannenwald, Kartik Krishnire. Uh, myself, and many, many others, uh, Tommy Smith, lots of really uh, Ian Joy, uh, Danny Higginbotham, a lot of great contributions in there about uh, what the World Cup means to each individual. So definitely check that out at the at the website, worldsoccertalk.com, as well as we've got the uh, the World Cup bracket. It's it's never too early to start. We're in April. Yes, the tournament's not until November. Yes, we won't know uh, the final teams in that competition, the final three until June. But it's never too early to start planning. Uh, we we also have the World Cup TV schedule on the website, too, which is uh, lots of articles and details regarding that on worldsoccertalk.com. Karthik, it's been an interesting week, though, because it has been a big new, uh, a week for soccer. The interesting thing for me personally, uh, we, uh, we're probably not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but... All right, Champions League. You wait for Champions League on, right? Uh, on Wednesday, you had Real Madrid against Chelsea. You had Villarreal against Bayern Munich. Uh, I had those two games on, but the match I was watching more closely was Burnley against Everton. Yeah, And, and, to, yep. and to me, what does that say when you've got a, a game, a relegation battle happening at the same exact time as the Champions League, but most of our attention is placed at Turf Moor instead of uh, Stamford Bridge?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, the same the same for me. Absolutely. That was the match I was focused on. Uh, I wasn't even sure I was going to watch Champions League, and as it turns out, I did keep that on uh, the television, probably because it was on broadcast television on one of my TVs, And, and but focused really on, on Burnley-Everton and also on a couple of matches in the championship, which were critical, both Bournemouth and, and Fulham uh, were playing, as was Nottingham Forest. So a couple very big matches for promotion. And uh, what does it say? I think it says, one, the Premier League has most of our attention uh, that the races the races within um, um, within specific domestic leagues are probably more entertaining than first legs keep in mind these are first legs of Champions League matches which seem to pit the same teams again uh, against each other over and over again every year that's part of my issue with the Champions League I mean I'm finding this season I've taken your advice Chris and the advice of some of our listeners I'm finding Europa League much more interesting much more to my liking Uh, Champions League quite frankly has not kept my interest even with man city who is the club i support i you know, much more concerned about how they do in the league uh, and in the FA Cup than how they do in Europe. And secondly, I think Everton. Everton is a story, right? This is a club that has spent very few years in its history outside the top flight. They have the longest current top flight run of any English club outside of Arsenal, uh, who have not been relegated since uh, the, the, the 19-teens uh, Arsenal. The last relegation for uh, Everton was in the 1950s, and it's a club that has spent uh, themselves into almost into oblivion, right? They have they have overspent so dramatically in the time period between 2017 and 2020 that it now makes uh, it it now kind of changes our critique of big spending clubs, right? We're now looking and saying, hey, maybe Chelsea and Man City, there's a method to the madness, which I I, I firmly believe. I think those are both actually very well run clubs, uh, because they uh, they spent and they spent with a plan. Everton came into money in 2017, came into some sponsorships, which are also now uh, in question because of of Russia, et cetera, with USM, et cetera, uh, cetera, that um, if you don't know what you're doing, having uh, an excess of cash can actually be a hindrance because what Everton has now is a bunch of high-wage players, uh, a manager who's come in now two months ago, Frank Lampard, who still doesn't know his best, uh, anything near his best 11, and a club that is in the position, if they get relegated, to potentially be the next leads. And uh, um that i think has captured a lot of us i'm thinking about everton more than i'm thinking about any of the teams in the champions league maybe that's just me but i don't think i'm alone i think anytime the everton conversation comes up with reference to relegation this year there's more interest in it than hey champions league's just kind of the same thing so i I don't think you and i are alone with that
0: yeah so there's two things to this first of all this is a rarity uh Usually, the Premier League, Serie A, all these, all these leagues in Europe, are not allowed to have uh, games scheduled top-tiered uh, games scheduled in the top-flight division at the same time or pretty close to the same time as the Champions League uh, day. However, because of COVID, because of all the uh, postponements of games, uh, a lot of these leagues have to f- find ways to make up these games to-, to get them all played before the end of the season, especially with uh, in preparations. I uh, mean, there's going to be a break in November and December for uh, the World Cup these teams are on these leagues are on a tight schedule so it's a rarity for the top flight now you and I Kartik, uh watching championship games oftentimes championship games are on at the same time on a uh, Tuesday or Wednesday's Champions League and sometimes I'm watching Swansea City on one screen and then you know Liverpool or Benfica on another screen but that that's the first thing the second thing about this though too Kartik, is that Honestly, this really, to me, yes, the Everton story is fascinating, as is Burnley, Everton more so. um, But this really shows the power of relegation, a relegation battle. If this is major league soccer and you had, I don't know, uh, Cincinnati against Inter-Miami, nobody would care. There's no accountability. If those two, two, two teams finish bottom of the league, nobody cares, right? It's just, you mean, okay, start again next season, get a draft pick, off you go. But this one, with it being a relegation battle, it means more. And this, and this is not in the playoffs. This is not in the the final. You mean weekend of the season? This is. You mean yes, towards the end of the season. You mean we've still got uh, a month and a half to go or so. But this was a really must-win, meaningful game. Danny Higginbotham, before the game starts, says, "Whoever loses this game, I think will get relegated." So the result ends up being a really good game to watch, too. A 3-2 to Burnley, Burnley scoring a late winner, Everton now on, on the precipice of, of relegation. A lot of it, I think, to me depends on what happens with uh, Watford, uh, if Watford continues the current uh, run of form, which they're not a bad side by any means. They they can pick up. I think they've they've had
1: some really tough fixtures to start Roy Hodgson's tenure. It gets easier this week, beginning with Leeds. Uh, all the Leeds is in, in good form, also. But I, I think Watford might climb out of this. I've said all season, Chris uh, Burnley would not get relegated. I've stuck by that. I have a lot of faith in Sean Dyche. I, I see now it coming together. Uh, a veg horse coming in is a big is a big uh, bonus. Cornet coming back from the uh, Cornet back from the uh, Cup of African Nations and Aaron. Light what a renaissance. What a career renaissance for this guy. Um, I, I, I think Burnley stay up. So uh, I, it's between Watford potentially and, and Everton. And uh, I, I don't like Everton's uh, chances. I mean, the, the thing that I go back to, Chris, that I've talked to about a lot the last couple of months is that if Roy Hodgson did want to come back into management, why did Everton hire uh, uh, Everton had a managerial vacancy before Watford did, right? Ranieri was sacked after Benitez, although I think it may have been the same weekend, but I think the next day. And right away, Watford had an agreement in place for Roy Hodgson. If Roy Hodgson was available and willing to take a short-term gig, why didn't Everton call him? And they could really rue that mistake. Yeah,
0: but looking ahead to this weekend, I mean, that's my game to watch, uh, my recommendation of what to watch this weekend, is Watford against Leeds United. Um Jesse Marsh, I think, has done an incredible job from the get go. This is a tough situation to get into. Uh, a lot of pressure, a lot of question marks about, about him, mostly from the British press, mostly from the, the tabloid press that doesn't really know much better. But um, I think, th- I mean, there's, not, there's a potential here, Kartik, for finally an American born manager in the Premier League in England to est- establish himself. Still a long way to go, but establish himself. And I think next season could be huge for him and, and, and huge for the United States in terms of uh, reputation, recognition, and acknowledgement that this is a very soccer-savvy country. What do you think, Kartik? What do you think about Jesse Marsh and, and the job he's doing at Leeds United? Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think he's a phenomenal manager. I think
1: he's a guy. Look, I, I've actually... In my other roles in football, have gotten to interact a lot with uh, people who have played for Jesse Marsh, uh, who have been around him during his career, both his playing career and his coaching career. He's now managed in four, uh, five countries now, when you include England, uh, and and he's a guy that has an incredible knowledge and thirst to learn, and and um, has. Picked up principles of football uh, Wherever he's gone So he, he's a guy that I think is uniquely Prepared for a challenge in the Premier League He also has a very clear philosophy Now I know a lot of Man United fans may say that philosophy Doesn't work at that level Because Raniak's philosophy very much is, it Mirrors uh, the philosophy of Jesse Marsh But at a club at the level of Leeds, Especially inheriting a fit squad from Bielsa A squad that um, Maybe uh, I, I was, was uniquely prepared to play a high-pressing game uh, as Marsh would want them to and to go through the sort of training drills Marsh uh, does during the week in training, uh, I think it was a brilliant appointment and I think he's going to be at Leeds United for a, a significant period of time. I think he's actually a very good fit for, for that club and for its philosophy and uh, also uh, for fans in Yorkshire who really appreciate good football. Um, I know a lot of the reputation of Leeds is made by uh, the movie The Damned United which is one of my favorite movies of all time right a lot of it's made by Brian Clough calling them dirty dirty Leeds and and saying all sorts of negative things about Don Revy but the reality is by the end of Revy's tenure Leeds was playing pretty good football contrary to the narrative in that film Um, and also Leeds has typically always been a attack minded side through the years and I think of Howard Wilkinson's teams that uh, culminated with him uh, winning the league right in the early 90s those were those were teams that played good free-flowing football guys like gary speed that just that just um you know made our heart stop right <laughs> how good he was um it, you know we, it, the, the those sorts of uh um or our heart race excuse me not our heart stop but um i think he's a good fit and i think it'll be really good for the reputation of american managers and and the united states in general because uh, it, it it's uh it's been very, very simple to, to write off uh, anyone who comes out of MLS is not very tactically savvy. You're not very sophisticated about football. But Marsh uh, is certainly
0: someone who can
1: help debunk that stereotype.
0: So, yeah. So that one's Watford against Leeds, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time on Saturday on Peacock. Kartik, what's your game of the uh, weekend to watch?
1: Yeah, it's kind of predictable, but I just went with uh, Man City Liverpool 11:30 a.m. Sunday, which is on uh, on USA and on and, and not on Peacock, but uh, NBCSports.com. It's a uh, it's a match that uh, is very very much. Uh, I think heading in Liverpool's direction. They played much better football of late. Manchester City seems very labored and laborious in how they break down opposition. They can't break down teams that play in a low block. Obviously, Liverpool a little more open. Uh, But it is potentially a title decider. I say potentially because... um, Remember in 2014, the same matchup actually at Anfield later in the season. Well, no, actually it was the same weekend. I think it was April 12th. Um, The same matchup, um, and it was the weekend of the Hillsborough anniversary, and that year would have been, what, the 25th, so it was a particularly poignant Hillsborough anniversary. Liverpool take a 2-0 lead. Manchester City come back 2-2. There's a company giving the ball away. Liverpool win. They go clear of Man City in the table, and then – still there was calamity ahead uh, for, for Liverpool and City caught them the last week and, and won the title. So this is not a title decider, but it is a potential title decider. Um, and so it, it, it has to be the game I recommend.
0: Okay, so let's move on to uh, some other Premier League news and, that, and that's in the TV streaming news, Karthik. And this leads right into what you just uh, mentioned and this is NBC's plans for the weekend.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and and it's usually this time of year anyway. So it really works out this year that NBC is is sending their studio team to the UK. Obviously, uh, the last few years with COVID, it's been they haven't been able to do this as typically as they they have. But generally. It's around this time of the year they send uh, send the team over there. Their match commentary team uh, of Arlo Whitley, Dixon so always on site. But uh, now you're going to get Rebecca Low, Robbie, or Robbie Musto, and Tim Howard uh, sh- uh, to hosting special pitch side shows, beginning with the Friday match with the with the Wolves uh, Newcastle match on Friday, uh, and you will also have. Uh, a number of features that are, are taped live uh, around this and i have to assume chris because we've had this in past years when nbc's traveled over some things that they that they tape that are canned for future weeks that might be really uh really useful and poignant for us
0: yeah my, my take on this is I'm, I'm excited that they'll be there but it, it's starting to become a little bit predictable um i mean you've got uh, robbie musto calling the game i think with all the whites and you got um robbie earl also calling a game with uh, Arlo White, and of course you've got the uh, the, the crew. I think Arlo and, and Lee Dixon, and probably Graham Lasso for uh, Sunday's game. It, it's becoming a little bit formulaic. I'd, I'd like to see them kind of mix things up, do things a little bit differently. Um, but it's still a big weekend, and it still says a lot for them to be there. So, so I'm looking forward to seeing that, and hopefully we'll get some uh, some good interviews and some good coverage out of that. Now, classic a story that we wrote about at uh, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Uh, this week, it's really interesting. It, it's actually more so in regards to uh, uh, American sports, uh, American football in particular, and that is um, that I think Troy Aikman and uh, Joe Buck uh, leaving Fox Sports to go ahead and uh, join ESPN for I think it's Monday Night Football. But what the speculation is, and this is uh, was reported by Front Office Sports and some other uh, industry publications, is that. This is a sign that Fox Sports is cutting back, is making significant cutbacks. And we've seen this on the soccer side, too, because this um, this season in particular, we've seen uh, MLS productions by Fox Sports on FS1 on Sundays, uh, not, be, not sending as many crews to the stadiums to actually call games from the stadiums. Uh, we've seen actually with John Strong, who is, you mean, uh, FS1's Fox's uh, number one soccer commentator, uh, lives in Portland, has called uh, a couple of games or a few games from um, with Portland as the home team. But instead of being in the stadium, was probably just a few miles from his home, he's actually calling it off a monitor. So whether he's going to being flown to L- L.A. to call the game off a monitor, off, off a TV screen or using some other studio. But he's so close, but yet Fox is unwilling to go ahead and pay to have a production team go out and cover a game. There's other instances, too, where Fox is being uh, uh, cutting back. So the, the speculation in the story is that Fox Sports may be considering selling uh, its sports division. And uh, the challenge with this car tick is... Who does it go to? I mean, ESPN would love nothing more, I'm sure, to acquire the rights that Fox Sports has. Just on the soccer side, if you look at, on the soccer side, World Cup, Women's World Cup, uh, Euros for 2024 and 2028, Copa America, Gold Cup. I mean, just those alone, those that portfolio of soccer rights just by themselves, and of course, the 2026 World Cup, the biggest of them all, that is worth billions, right? Um, but ESPN, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I would think that the, uh, the government DOJ would not allow a merger to, for, for ESPN to acquire Fox Sports' uh, uh, sports division. So who could you see it going to if, if Fox was interested in selling uh, selling up and selling their Fox Sports uh, division, Karthik?
1: Well, first off, I spent a lot of time this week, actually probably my main focus this week has not been soccer, Uh, although the last couple of nights because of uh, U.S. Open Cup, I've been uh, really soccer-centric, but has been evaluating Disney as a company because of things going on in Florida, and a big part of that analysis is as Disney got larger with the asset purchase a few years ago, Fox got smaller. And one of the things that talking to analysts on background, they had told me is that because Fox became a much more, a much smaller and more conservative company and really dependent on their, their newspaper ownership, uh, and, and, uh, their TV news channel ownership, uh, they, um, the sports division, they don't have the sort of revenue coming into the entire company anymore to sustain bidding wars on sports rights, um, without it coming directly out of the pocket of the Murdoch family. So that to me is very, very interesting and coincides, uh, dovetails perfectly with what's happening with uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman leaving. So uh, so consider that for a minute. They've acquired all these rights you talked about already. They've already shelled out the money, but they don't really have enough capital or cash flow, based on what I'm being told on background, to continue to bid on sports rights, not to men- mention the production and paying talent and and what you were just talking about, Chris. So I think it's inevitable, based on that those, that piece of analysis, which I've heard from multiple people in the past week, uh, in comparing Fox to Disney. Now, I don't think regulators would allow Disney to acquire it, right? That's so that 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 cuts ESPN off. I think NBC Comcast is kind of a different company, so it would either be another company that's spun off, or maybe this is an opportunity for the Warner Media. Um, the new Warner media discovery spinoff from AT&T to acquire a lot of sports rights uh, that uh, they may have lost bidding wars or not bid on. They're now a more robust company. They can look at maybe the ROI uh, if they bought the Fox sports division and, and, and see where it goes. But yeah, I'm not surprised by this uh, based just on my own conversations, Chris, which is about something completely different, which is the, the battle between Disney and the state of Florida right now over Uh, legislative issues that in in that conversation you can't get away from talking about fox because of the asset purchase and how that changed the culture of disney and similarly made fox a smaller company and a company not really able to generate the amount of revenue um to sustain bidding on uh they'll try i i mean they'll they, they they've also The other thing to note, Chris, is they've outlaid more money once again to keep the NFL uh, and to acquire some of these summer soccer tournaments, uh, the the Euros most notably. So they're really at the bare bones. This is why also in the larger context of MLS – Uh, For the listeners out there, don't be surprised if they're not even in the conversation, which I believe they're not really even in the conversation anymore to keep MLS right. It's not uh, some sort of uh, shocking revelation. It's just a reality of where Fox is uh, as a company right now.
0: If you look at all of the the major sports broadcasters in the United States, you look at uh, ESPN, you look at CBS, etc., all of them have something in common, which is a, a really strong, robust streaming uh, service. And Fox doesn't have it. Fox, The closest thing that Fox has to it is Tubi, which is very much like Pluto TV, which is a uh, free ad-supported system, uh, kind of a platform streaming service uh, that has the potential to stream live sports in the future. But from discussions I've had, Tubi's not ready for, for live sports. So but but Tubi's really right now not really a sports centric streaming service. Fox does have investments or has had investments in the past in companies such as Hulu and, and Fubo TV. And and that's the part of it that I, I see as kind of the most potential um is a company like fubo now it may, it may not be fubo themselves acquiring uh fox sports but i wouldn't be surprised if they'd be involved in trying to form some type of partnership to acquire those rights so we're talking about soccer right now but of course there's a ton of other sports the fox has that are incredibly valuable but just on the soccer side of things if you saw like a, say a fubo if fubo is able to uh acquire the rights to these competitions and and don't forget too that fubo uh, has part of the uh, Euro 2024 and Euro 2028 in a partnership deal with Fox Sports already, so they're already pretty uh, pretty cozy to get together. Uh, Fox will be broadcasting most of the major games from those competitions, at least at least for now, and Fubo is going to be streaming um, the, the games that Fox doesn't show. So that's the potential. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if there's uh, a major streaming service that comes along, or it could be an Apple TV. It could be an Amazon or somebody that tries to say, hey, I mean looking at the, the rights that Fox Sports has, and they've done a great job at, of acquiring rights, should we, could we, and will we go ahead and put a bid in to try to, to get that? Because that could be massive. ESPN would love nothing more than getting uh, the World Cup back, um, and like you said, Kartik, with, with regulata- uh, re- regulators and uh, kind of uh, monopolies, it's unlikely, right? But I'm sure ESPN would love to get the World Cup, but but maybe there's a way to, I don't know, maybe Fubo in partnering with some other companies um, can make it happen. And then Kartik, uh, one more news item this week, and that's uh, from USL
1: yeah so uh, USL announced a partnership with 11 for exclusive global this is a global deal uh, rights to the USL W League which is a uh, which is the new promo- uh, professional league technically designated as a second division women's professional league in the United States which uh, will begin uh, uh, later this season later this year um, and the W League by the way um, is going to kick off in May uh, but eventually we'll be playing on a, a sort of different calendar than NWSL just for those who know uh, but this is a global deal with 11 and and a big boon uh, for 11 I have some uh, some personal insight on this deal that um, uh, I'm happy to share with anyone who's interested if they DM me uh, on Twitter at kKFLA 737
0: yeah it's interesting contact too because uh, my cujo uh, I mean, 11 Sports did a really good move in, in acquiring MyKujo, which was the streaming service that showed a lot of uh, lower league soccer and a lot of games that you couldn't find anywhere else. And effectively, this, this is the W League on uh, USL on 11 Sports. Effectively, it's on that MyKujo platform, which is no longer uh, called MyKujo. It's 11 Sports. So a uh, smart move there by 11 Sports and, and USL to, to do this uh, global streaming service and to make those games more available. Moving on to the listener mailbag, uh, this is a question that came up last week, Kartik, and uh, you, you weren't on, so we weren't able to ask you it. But it comes from Dave and talking about the NWSL. And Dave says, did I hear correctly what Kartik said? NWSL produces games for CBS. I have credited CBS for a fine job covering NWSL, but but uh, perhaps credit belongs to NWSL. Or did I misunderstand
1: uh, yeah. So NWSL has a, a white label production studio that they uh, that they have paid for that does. Uh, the games for uh, for for CBS Sports uh, uh, for CBS Sports and for Paramount Plus, the, uh, these uh, these games though are overlaid with CBS graphics and there is CBS talent and ma- and sometimes additional cameras for the national games which are on CBS Sports Network and on uh, CBS over there, like the the, the match this weekend, the uh, California Derby, if you will, the the San Diego L A game, which was on CBS over there, so. Um, it, the the basic production is is handled by the league there are uh, additional elements of production that CBS adds on their own uh, and including talent although the talent generally is, is the same talent that calls games uh, on uh, uh, for NWSL in general but so there are additional overlays there are additional studio programs that are produced by CBS but uh, the basic production all comes from N- NWSL and they build on that this is kind of different than how MLS is handled by the the networks where MLS does not produce the games. And those networks do produce them, which I think is another complicating factor. I guess this is what led to the question, right? We, uh, we discussed that a few weeks ago on the podcast, that MLS is going to have to uh, commit to doing that in this next uh, package, in all likelihood, the next broadcast deal.
0: Yeah, it's interesting watching that uh, CBS coverage last weekend on uh, the network, the over-the-air network. Uh, the viewership was 456,000 people watching that game, San Diego against Angel City. Um, the actual experience of watching that game is so different than watching, you mean whether it's MLS or any any men's uh, soccer league. You um, I mean it, it? It is good. It's it's good production, but it's so different, right? It feels different. It looks different. Uh, it's at a slower pace. It seems like when I'm watching it. Um, but yeah, great viewership numbers there for uh, for CBS and and, and WSL. Um, yeah, things are heading up. Uh, looking good for the league there. Now, Karthik, uh, next question up is uh, Bill. Bill says, why haven't more cable networks and streaming providers picked up CBS Sports Network? It's been several years since CBS picked up several soccer properties, including the Champions League, NWSL, uh of Concacaf qualifiers, yet CBS Sports Network still does not have as many carriers as the network such as FS1. It's also hard to find on some streaming platforms, and when it can be found, it's on a higher tier than most cable, uh, m- most sports networks. What's the deal? I think I think part of it, though, too, Kartik. I think I think part of it is. Uh, it's almost like we all we're all feeling that at some point it's going to go away uh, it's kind of a similar fate to NBC uh, NBCSN NBC Sports Network uh, how long is this network going to be around? It's also, I think, the other part of it, which is huge, really, Kartik. and this is probably a bigger factor, is that it's not rated. So it's not Nielsen rated. So I think it, for a lot of properties or a lot of people looking at it, they're like, eh, does it really get a, a kind of a large viewership? What is its viewership like? Uh, CBS Sports would know. We, I mean, we and the rest of the, uh, the industry uh, doesn't know. Uh, and any other thoughts about that one? Why it's
1: not, yeah, they don't, they don't have made, they don't have major sports properties outside of soccer. And the soccer stuff as Bill mentions is, is recent last last three years. They've been acquiring soccer rights, but they don't have, uh, they have second tier college sports, right? Second tier conferences in the major college sports in, in men's and women's basketball and in, uh, in football, right? They don't have, uh, significant, uh, they don't have the significant, the Power Five, Power Six conferences, although they do have studio programming, right, to complement CBS's coverage of those, of those leagues. Uh, and then they don't have uh, baseball, NBA, NHL, uh, NFL. And again, their soccer acquisitions are recent. Now, I think their soccer acquisitions may put them more in a window for cable companies uh, and, and distributors than they were before, but they really are a second-tier channel. And that's why they're also not not in that, uh, that tier where you get FS1, where you used to get NBC Sports Network, where some, some cable companies even have FS2 in that tier, and they do not have CBS Sports Network there. However, I I should mention that when CBS Sports Network acquired the UEFA Champions League rights, they were bumped up a tier on DirecTV, and it was directly related to that acquisition. So um, maybe they're in a couple – they're in more homes than they used to be.
0: Next up is Chris on the topic of streaming. He says, recently read an article on the Sports Illustrated website – that basically bashed the recent deal between Apple TV Plus and Major League Baseball and why streaming is the wrong way to go for leagues. I should point out that the writer of this article basically has the same role with Sports Illustrated that you guys have at World Soccer Talk, but with baseball. While I understand the writers' viewpoint and frustration with streaming, it is going to be part of the sports media landscape for years to come across all sports. As a soccer fan, I have found that streaming via uh, ESPN+, Paramount+, Plus, Fubo, and Peacock is the easiest way to watch the games I love uh, while also cutting out my cable bill. With this article in mind, my question to either of you is, what are your thoughts on streaming in general? For me, Karthik, personally, uh, I mean, I love it. I mean, like, there's a lot of things I can do with streaming that I can't do with traditional cable television. Um, a perfect example of that is uh, Multicast or Multiview. And and these are different types of streaming uh, uh, services. Well, basically not services, features, really, of uh, if you have an Apple TV um, product, the actual hockey puck uh, you can, for example, with uh, ESPN Plus, you can watch up to four games at once. Uh, with uh, Fubo, you can watch up to two games at once. I think that that feature is also available on uh, on the Roku uh, with with streaming through Fubo. So there's a lot of things you can do, and there's a lot of features and functionality that you could could have never done with with cable. What about you, Kartik? What's what's your take on streaming?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's. Uh it's more flexible and, and, and you can watch things on demand uh than uh than cable, but it's also still more temperamental, right? I I mean I still again this week I, I had a, a little soccer gathering over the weekend with a few friends that I hadn't seen I think basically since before the pandemic. Um Maybe I had uh, seen them more recently, but still, and the complaint about Paramount Plus in particular, about having to exit the app and then re-enter the app in the middle of matches, uh, was, was prominent, and everybody shared it, so... That's that's a thing with streaming, unless the streaming provider has a a perfect uh, mechanism, which uh, even ESPN Plus, as much as we compliment them, they're not perfect. I think Peacock has gotten better, but there's still bugs, there's still flaws, and then, then we just mentioned Paramount Plus, those being the big three that are covering soccer now. Uh, HBO Max uh, will be in the space at this time next year. Um I, I think that there's still a slight advantage to cable, but that will go away over time, right? The technology, all of these buggy features, all of these kind of clunky things with streaming will be solved I think by the time we negotiate the next set of rights uh, deals uh, over the ones that have just been negotiated now or are still being negotiated in terms of MLS.
0: Yeah, I think I think part of it too is the technology. So whether it's uh, 5G, whether it's fiber, whether it's basically really strong great uh, broadband's um, speeds uh, such as the speeds that you'd see in, in south korea and other countries that are way more advanced on that side of the fence in terms of uh, internet and that will help a lot of the issues i mean but paramount plus yeah it's almost like a given now it's almost like you mean reach halftime of a game okay exit out of the app go back in and then it should be okay because it it kicks me out too um, and also some of these some of these features and kind of things that uh, don't work as well as we would like them to work. Some of them are based on the actual hardware too. So like Roku may not be as good as Apple TV and and Amazon Fire TV has some quirks in it too. So there's not one kind of consistent say cable box like in, in the past uh, where everyone has the same cable box and everyone has that, that kind of controlled environment. But, yeah, for for me, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of streaming. And, uh, and Chris, uh, yeah, it's interesting, too, that, that this uh, baseball writer was uh, kind of against streaming. But I, I can see pluses and minuses for sure. On last week's podcast, we talked a lot about uh, Major League Soccer and actually the week before that, too, in terms of the the, the upcoming TV deal. Uh, Raid says, uh, for me, the biggest problem with Major League Soccer is that the regular season games are not that competitive for the most part. In European European leagues, every point is big. Playing all those games and then playing playoffs one or two legs, that way is not attractive for me. I love soccer, and I watch many different leagues from around the world, including MLS sometimes. But if the MLS rights go to a streaming service that I don't have, um, it's not going to be a big deal to lose access to MLS games. Thank you again, and I hope you guys talk about MLS changing its current system. I know that is not going to happen anytime soon, but maybe that's one of the solutions to improve the quality of soccer and TV ratings. And I I think, Kartik, that's um, where we are right now with Major League Soccer. Uh, These are topics we've been talking about for years, probably, what, 10 years. 10 years of pointing out holes in in the system. And the biggest hole to me is just that regular season It's not meaningful. It's, it's one of those things that if you miss the first five months of an MLS season and then catch it uh, in the summer, maybe a month or two before uh, the actual playoffs start, um, you, you, you don't miss much. You don't miss much at all. And I think what, where we are right now is that um, the fans know that. The broadcasters know that, and the way that uh, Major League Soccer is set up is it's set up, conceived as a traditional American sports league. So it's set up like Major League Baseball or NFL, NFL in particular, because a lot of the owners uh, within MLS come from NFL. And that system is all well and good within American traditional sports because you don't have a lot of competition from overseas. Soccer, you have more competition from overseas than, than any other sport. And I think the gig is up. I think a lot of fans, the broadcasters themselves, everybody knows that the current system with Major League Soccer is not as good as it as other leagues. There's better leagues out there. There's better players out there. There's more competitive games out there. There's more meaningful games out there. So where we are right now, I think a lot of these issues for the last ten years that we've been talking about, MLS has not addressed, has not changed any of those, and I think it's caught up to them.
1: So yeah, you've talked about the pro rel piece. Uh, I agree with that, but I would also add uh, to me very, very much the uh, the calendar. Piece, and as long as the M- M- uh, as long as MLS operates on a calendar which is contrary to the top leagues in the world, I know there are people who argue, well, there are leagues in Latin America that follow a similar calendar, sort of. Okay, I, not not completely true, but sort of. Uh, you're going that's going to limit your ability to interact in the international transfer market and have the top players come here. So I think the calendar is a serious issue as well that no one wants to address, and it's a red hair. Right, you know uh, the, the the excuses people make uh, anytime you try and bring it up. I mean, at least the pro rel discussion you can have. The calendar change discussion. There's fear, like uh, players and fans will freeze to death uh, when they don't. You don't even get through to, to first base in terms of talking about. Okay, we can schedule strategically now. In this void comes USL, who is very serious about shifting their calendar. We mentioned the W League deal with Eleven earlier. Uh, That's going to involve a likely calendar shift uh, as that league evolves. And uh, also their their, their top divisions on the men's side are looking to shift the calendar. Now, granted, they have more teams in the Southeast and the Southwest than MLS does. It it might work a little better for them geographically, but uh, that will be a very interesting moment because I think once you start aligning your transfer when with Europe, even though USL is a, uh, runs a second, third, and fourth division in this country, uh, there are some interesting possibilities that come out of that. So uh, yeah, I agree with you, Chris, on, on promotion and relegation, and I would also say calendar change is a big part of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's not just promotion and relegation, but it's also just in terms of just the way that the league is structured, uh, you, you know what I mean, in terms of playoffs. playoffs, And it's not not that there's anything wrong with playoffs, but there's got to be a better way to do it. And I think Liga Max is probably an example where MLS years ago, maybe five years ago, should have said, OK, let's do an Apertura and a Clausura, and let's figure out a way to, to kind of break the season in half and make it more meaningful. And they've never done anything. And and that's the thing. That's the issue is they've been so focused on expansion, bringing more expansion teams into, into the league that at the same time that they've been so focused on pumping money in that way, um, the quality of the league it has become diluted, and they haven't addressed the, the the big issues. And now, at a point in time where they need they need a major TV deal right now to be able to bring in the, the future stars to grow this league. Now, now they're in a tough position.
1: Yeah, on the league split, I, I dealt with that firsthand. I was the communications director of, of, for the NASL when we decided to do that. And I did not anticipate the backlash. I did not think it, w- I, I, it from was... From fans? To me, it was just a very... From fans, wow. yeah. It was a very logical change because we had to keep this American thing of playoffs, but uh, we had the same problem in NASL. Teams were getting to the playoffs with, uh, it had happened uh, two successive years when we, we decided to split the season, where the team that was the bottom seed had gotten to the final. Uh, the bottom seed that made the playoffs. Uh, in fact, one of the years they won the the, the the championship. It was a great run. It was a great story. Wonderwall, which Minnesota United fans still, still sing, uh, came out of that run that they made to the NASL final, so the championship in 2011 when they, uh, they finished sixth in an 18 team league and then won the championship. It was a wonderful, wonderful run. But we thought, okay... Clearly, our regular season doesn't mean as much as we'd like it to mean. We can't get rid of playoffs completely or championships completely because a championship game, that's just kind of the American sports thing. We were trying to get a television deal at the time. Uh, So we split the season. You remember, Chris. You and I sat down and talked about it. I think you were one of the people I first sat with before we announced it to talk about that we were going to do effectively an Apertura Clausura. We called it fall, spring. Uh, And uh, there was a huge backlash from the fans. Um, which I, I never quite quite comprehended, and we, uh, we ended up having to change, we kept that format uh, uh, through the end of NASL, but then we then had to go back to like a more expanded playoffs because people just didn't, they didn't accept it, they didn't understand it, they didn't like it, and the idea was to make every game more meaningful.
0: Yeah, I mean there's always gonna be a backlash from fans whenever you make major changes. So I in, in some ways it's almost like you have to tune that tune that out to a certain extent. But I could see I mean for an MLS season having say an apertura say say uh, well an apertura uh, winner who who wins that championship and then the Klausura winner that wins that that second half of that season, and then having those two teams play against each other in an MLS cup final. And and to me that would have more meaning, more relevance more I'm probably... Actually, not probably. Definitely would keep me more interested in watching the league throughout the the, the season itself or the the split seasons. All right, let's move on. Last comment here, and this is from RJ in regards to the topic of podcasting. RJ says, now that the World Cup qualifications are nearly complete, or now that... Well, they're almost complete, right? I got to thinking about TV coverage for Qatar 2022. Is there any chance that major networks would employ podcasters to supplement their coverage. Personally, I find many sports uh, m- many soccer podcasters far more insightful than most mainstream TV coverage for soccer in the US. How long until a major entity taps this resource? Personally, I'd love to see uh, the guys over at Total Soccer Show or Scuffed get a chance to provide coverage. I also think that World Soccer Talk Crew would add to US telecasts. So I think Kartik, uh, I think this has already happened. I mean, Men in Blazers would be the the perfect example. A couple of guys doing a podcast uh, with connections within the industry, and uh, and blowing up. Uh, not everyone's cup of tea, but but actually doing really really well. Um, and they had been doing this actually for quite a long time before uh, NBC Sports uh, hired them. They had been working for uh, ESPN. Uh, so I think that's one example there. I'm trying to think of any other examples. Um, I know way back in the day, back in probably 2006, Karthik, I approached Fox Sports at the time and came came up with an idea of doing kind of a, a podcast. And uh, they were interested at, at that time. Uh, it, never, it never materialized, but that was a long, long time ago. But in terms of RJ's point about... Uh, podcasts playing more of a role in soccer coverage um i think it's happening more in the uk though kartik you look at yeah. BT sports and it could have you mean or uh, a lot of the guys from the guardian podcast um you man i'm trying to think of like michael cox is one pers- person who was more of a writer than a podcaster but also appeared on many podcasts too um, but i i think yeah i think for the u.s soccer coverage it would be nice for them to get out of the box and I th- think outside of the box and pick up some some uh, podcasters who can probably add a lot more insight than a lot of these uh, analysts that we know.
1: Yeah, and I, I think also there's supplementary things going on uh, on YouTube. Uh, the Athletic uh, with Tifo is really, really good supplemental stuff. Uh particularly about European club football, uh, more of an emphasis on the Premier League. But there's a lot of, they have a lot of Bundesliga and uh, Serie A stuff in particular, and La Liga also. And then uh, the the podcast uh, or the YouTubes that, YouTubers that we see uh, covering the U.S. men's national team. I don't always agree with those guys. I generally don't agree with most of those guys, actually, about the U.S. Uh, but they clearly have created a following and are stimulating conversations. So I, I do think that this is something that, Mainstream media will look at uh, as we get close to the World Cup now if it's is it going to be a World Cup only thing? Who knows like with Michael Cox it was originally a World Cup only thing in 2010 and then he proved so popular such a hit that uh, He was retained beyond that and created more of a following around club football than about around international tournaments But the World Cup was the gateway was the, the entrance for him
0: yeah, and the funny funny thing is, too, that a lot of these uh, YouTubers or, or podcasters, too, actually get more downloads or more listens uh, than a lot of mainstream broadcasters uh, for, say, pre-game coverage or halftime coverage uh, for a lot of these games. So, yeah, good point there, RJ. All right, if you have something you'd like to ask us, uh, we'd love to read your comment out on air. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com uh, slash world soccer talk and on Twitter at world soccer talk. Plus of course, you can always post your comments on WorldSoccerTalk.com. talk.com. Karthik heading into another weekend of football from around the world. Uh, there's a lot a lot to look forward to there's so many matches and I'm I'm sure on Friday on the uh, the World Soccer Talk Twitter um, stream we'll have uh, Kyle Fansler giving his weekend preview too by video but Kartik heading into a big weekend uh, what should the fans do and what are you going to do enjoy your football